This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Homestyle Radio Preview Podcast. Sponsored by fanjewel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Hi and welcome to Homestyle Radio. In this show you get twice the value as I, Chris Handling, host a pleasingly brief review of the 3-1 defeat to Southampton at St Mary's and then Terence Ford takes the hot seat to preview Monday's game against Arsenal. We are joined by Mr Nick Philpott. Good evening everybody, how are we? Yeah, there's not really a time to talk about it, we've, we've already had a chat haven't we? Where I, I incessantly bullied you for literally no reason. <laughs> Again. Wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And we also are joined by the magnificent Mr. Patrick O'Connor. Hello, hello, hello. Hello. Are we? Oh, that was all a bit. It's all a bit sort of 1960s Bobby, wasn't it? Yeah, a bit. <laughs> I enjoyed it. Oh, I'd better say hello to Terence as well. Hi, Terence. Hello, everybody. <laughs> right, let's just get moving. Um, obviously... Bit of question down to earth a little bit, really. Uh, for a while, it promised to be like it, we could get that sort of five wins in a row, and it just would have been so so nice, and we'd be feeling much more comfortable. But you know, Hull have won again. You know, for, I think Spurs' late uh, turnaround against Swansea helped a little bit, but obviously people are, have responded by getting very very nervous about the defeat. Um, but let, let's talk a little bit about. Um, First of all, the fact that the starting lineup on how it was influenced by those injuries, because obviously getting two centre backs injured in one game, we kind of glossed over it because Kelly and, and Delaney came off the bench and did really, really well against Chelsea. And you know, even Allardyce mentioned it in his post-match press conference. Said it was great that the players that came in just sort of stepped right up. But you know, I think it's fair to say that any team would miss players of the calibre of Scott Dan and, uh, and, uh, and James Tompkins when, when the replacements are what we've got. And I, I think that kind of that kind of uh, came to fruition, if you like. So, and, then, and then you saw, I think, perhaps Schlupp and, and Ward had, you know, should we say, weaker games. And it really did look like a defence that, you know, were, were strangers again for times. But, you know, the, the first half was a weird one, wasn't it? Because we, we started and we seemed to have got our shape a little bit wrong. And... Um, and then 
got a foothold in the game and, and just scored a breathtaking goal, which we'll talk about in a moment. But just that, that opening period, Terence, um, you know, I know you, you said yourself after the game, I think, on Twitter that you've got to have that bit of perspective with the injuries we've got. But we really struggled in that opening period. What was, what was behind that? Um, I think it was, you know, Southampton have a very talented midfield. I think a very underrated midfield. And you only have to look at what Tadic did to us in the second half once he got space to show the damage that they can cause. But um, Long decided to peel off against Kelly as opposed to Sacco. And um, that created the really early chance there. And um, Kelly just (laughs) looked a bit like a passenger, to be fair. And Long spanning behind him and shot just wide but <laughs> saying that credit to Hennessy the form he's in he probably had it covered if it was on target but yeah I just think they just rushed us quickly in the midfield and it took us a while to get to grips and with Kelly alongside Sacco there was a bit there was just a bit of in not insurity that's not a word is it I can't it say insurity <laughs> but you know what I mean <laughs> like a in, indecision I guess or indeci- yeah or, indecisiveness yeah. between the sort of in between the midfield and the defence and Southampton got on that early but I think it, it settled down shortly after that well Nick Terrence has picked out Kelly there as, as, as the one who struggled and quite, quite rightly so because he did uh, and what, what do you think of Sam's decision to pick Kelly over Delaney I think it was probably at a, at a time the right decision. Um, it's I'm concerned now um, with Kelly coming in and the fact that uh, Delaney is also there. I mean, I noticed on social media that the pair of them got an absolute slating during the day today, and I think it's a little bit unfair. I mean, it was just as well um, Shane Long was off off form because uh, Terence is quite right. We could we could have gone one nil down very early on at that stage, uh, and. I think if you look back at the pictures, I think didn't uh, Hennessy actually get a touch that early long shot? No, he was close. Was he was close. He was yeah, it was wide. I, I, I mean, the, the one shining light on the night it has to be what we're talking about. The defence was actually Hennessy. I think he had another good game. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it, yeah, you're right. You know, and Delaney struggled, and I don't like to see anyone getting a hard time on, you know, on, on social media and all that kind of stuff. It's not really not really appropriate when we've been in the form that we've been in and then and according to a game like this struggling for numbers and struggling for, for a bit of fitness but we did see that, that the squad seems weak and is that a fair reflection Patrick that this shows the sort of uh, should we say lack of depth in the squad that we were talking about earlier in the season yeah there's no doubt about that especially defensively um, I want to pick up on what uh, both you guys were you guys talking about before I thought Peel the Southampton manager did a great job he, he knows where our weaknesses were he, they targeted Kelly, they targeted Schlupp, and um, as Terence said, the midfield's excellent, and they, you know, they dominate in the midfield, and, and that really was the game. So I agree, yeah, Chris. We definitely defensively, we are, we are, we are struggling um, with players. When you lose players like Scott Dan and James Tompkins and even Van Arnholt from your back four, you're gonna, you're gonna struggle, and we just don't have good enough um, uh, backup players, and that's gonna be an issue. I'm really concerned going forward um, with what we're gonna do, and um, I wasn't concerned with the Kelly starting over. Um, Delaney because of the whole le- two left-footed players, but Kelly really had a he had a he had a bad game yesterday. So we have to reconsider what we're going to do on Monday. Do we go three in the back and put the three of them back there to make it some balance? Do we go you know back four? It's going to be a difficult decision for for Sam on Monday. Sure, it sure is. Um, but like I said, we we did weather that early storm. There were some adjustments from the sidelines uh, in terms of shape, and, and we got really much more into the game and, and were dominant for for quite a period there, Terence. So tactically, we we talked about. 
you know, lineup selection maybe and, and performances that were wrong. What did we get wrong and what did we get right tactically in that first half? Oh, I think in the first half it we were just it was carrying over from where we left off at Chelsea really. We were prepared to sit deep and use our pace on the counter and um it's kind of what we've been used to seeing in all of our good patches, whether that was under Pulis, whether it, whether it was under Pardew, and now under Allardyce. It's that it's what we know best. It's our default set, you know. Some a, a couple of midfielders sitting deep with our quick wingers um, and someone at the point of the midfield behind the striker, and we just seem to flow well. I mean, some of the shapes we created at Chelsea on the counter were brilliant, and you know, the, as we're coming onto the goal that we scored against Southampton was just. It was excellent the way we built it from the back very, very quickly and got involved. Every, almost every player got involved and touched the ball before um, Townsend crossed it to Benteke. So I, th- I think it was just Allardyce playing, playing to the strengths of what we have in terms of the pace and on the counter. And that that was good enough for the first, probably the, give and take the first 10 minutes. But for the next 35 minutes of the first half, it was more than enough to compete with Southampton. Yeah, it was very pleasing seeing us play like that as well. And Nick, in terms of you know the the way Palace were playing, forgetting what happened at the, in, the, in the rest of the game up to a point of half time, uh, kind of perhaps ignoring the fact we conceded on on half time as well. You know, the Palace, the football Palace are playing under Allardyce because obviously that's a big concern for everyone when Allardyce came in as well. But it, it has been pleasing on the eye as well, hasn't it? Well, you got to you got you got to take the goal as a, an example. Um, Again, Terence uh, scored that correctly. It all, it all came down the left. It was a beautiful one-touch movement. And had that been any of the big clubs, okay, people have been shouting and screaming from the rafters at the quality of the goal. Um, what was it? I think it was five players involved in the move, starting with Schlupp on the, on the left. Um, it was a cracking goal, a cracking bit of movement. And, and we were playing nearly as well as we were against Chelsea at that That's- point. Absolutely right. And Patrick, we had a couple of chances before the goal as well. A bizarre hole with a sort of volley that was blocked. And, and from a corner as well, Benteke with a, quite a bizarre header, if you remember that one. Uh, it was odd, the ball came sort of landed almost straight on his head, but he seemed to sort of almost duck under it. Uh, um, don't know quite what he was playing out there. But, but you know, again, you felt like a goal was coming. I think that's fair. And, and, and again, the play deserved it, didn't it? Yeah, it didn't. And it's a shame because it was a kind of game where you know that if we had gotten a, an, an earlier goal than the one we scored, we would have pushed on and got a couple more. Um, we had some great, I mean, we had some opportunity. We had quite a few corners yesterday. And um, there was a point uh, in the second half, I know, that um, over here the commentator was saying how Delaney was um, was being marked by, I guess, Stephen Davis. And he had like a foot advantage. And they were saying, why are we going? I think one time we went short on a corner instead of going, you know, heading towards Delaney. And one of the later one, I think Delaney headed one back in, we almost scored on. So we had some opportunities on set plays that we could have benefited from. And that would have really, you know, turned it. But just going back to the way we played, I, I really was excited by the, watching Punch and uh, Townsend, Zaha and Benteke team up. That goal that we scored was was excellent play. And I, I'm with you. I, I was, I'm, I'm not a big Allardyce fan, just personally and tactically. But I think... He's done a really good job with us as far as tactics, as far as making sure that we've really played some really interesting and exciting football so far. I think it's interesting. Well, up, up until half time, he did. Up, up <laughs> yeah, until half time. No, no, yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. No, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. But what, what's, what's pleasing for me, and again, I, you know, I was, I'm deliberately trying to be positive about this because it was, a, it was a setback, but what's pleasing for me is he, he almost seems to just sort of trust the attacking players and say, look, you know, you've got that ability, you know, be a unit, work together. Yeah. Let's, we work on the defensive unit every, you know, every single week, and 
try and get them organised and try and make sure players are covering each other and all that kind of stuff where we were we were really suffering before where the, the kind of team ethic had gone and people weren't covering for each other's areas and all this sort of stuff you know that's been sorted out and it's like the, the rest of you just go and do what you do you don't there's not a huge amount of, uh, of organisation that you need to do to make you know to, to give the ball to Wilf it's um, but you know I think you you picked it out, Patrick. That, that Southampton did a really good job in isolating where we were weak and taking advantages of, of, of things that uh, you know through no fault of our own in in, in many cases uh, that, that on the day weren't quite right. And Chris, one more thing. Sorry, we had a great free kick that we uh, almost scored. Milivojevic had a great free yeah. kick um, that hit the you know hit the post, base of the post. If that goes in again, you know, different game. Oh yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's a game changer moment, and it was yeah. it was you know it wasn't like it was far off. You know, we're talking talking the other side of the post and it goes in off so um, yeah again and it was at a great time as we were in the ascendancy and Southampton were absolutely rocked by it so again just we've pretty much covered the goal but for me it's interesting you go that one step back from Schlupp and it was Zaha again who started Mm. it and Roger East took a lot of criticism Terence but played an advantage there that was absolutely key yeah he did Um, I think um you can even go further back as well when you've got a couple of moves in there from, I think it was a tackle from Milivojevic who then plays it into goodbye, who then puts in a good tackle to keep possession. Um, yeah, South, if Southampton were prepared to sit though against it, that was their problem. And they gave Zaha the opportunity to break into the space. Um, so yeah, for credits of Rodriguez for playing the advantage, but I, I don't think there really was one until Southampton just decided to stand off and give Wilfred that space. But um, I mean, what Wilfred does in in that sense, and um, likely his goal against for the Ivory Coast against Russia is making teams think about more about him now. In that he previously was very good on the counter. Um, and decent in tight areas, but you're never really worried about the end products. But now he's starting to score. You saw him suck all of the players towards him when he picked the ball up on the edge of the area, and that created the overload because Southampton players were just like, oh, we've got to get to Wilf, we've got to get to Wilf, and they just completely forgot about Townsend over the other side of the pitch. Absolutely right to pick that out. And, I mean, that's, that's a huge, huge plus point for, for us in a lot of ways. But how often have we seen a Palace team in the past, Nick, where we've seen a move like that and gone, oh, for God's sake, shoot, for God's sake, shoot. But each, each and every one of them picked the right pass at the right moment and actually created so it was a proper, unmissable chance for Benteke and, and a glorious goal. It was a, it was a, it was a s- sweet move. I mean, um, to see Wilf looking up at that point, OK, and picking out Townsend... Uh, it was a quality ball, a great and a, a nice slide ball in. And I thought Benteke's finish was exquisite. I mean, he punched it straight into the roof of the net. It was, it was, a, it was a wonderful all-round team effort at that point. Right. And you think we're going to uh, we're going to kick off from there, don't you, Patrick? And then, um, so so what happened? What happened? Because we saw a bit of that the old Palace. Did we creep in? The palace that couldn't defend just before half time or just before full time, all of a sudden we're back to that. What happened before before the first half ended? Shall I tell you what I think happened? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> right, two penalty shouts. The first one, Schlupp, he's handballed yep. it. You know, got <laughs> yeah. away with that. Got away with that. Second one, Shay Long's mm. dived. Yeah, mm. all right, all right, all right. No, do, do you know why I, why I say this? Is because when you, it's all about deliberate handball, right? Now, before I get into this. If it's at the other end, I'm furious if it's not given. Yeah, <laughs> so, of course. I'm going to be full-on hypocritical here. <laughs> right, <but> okay. <laughs> because it's because against one of our players, I've looked at it in depth. And the ball bounces up, and it bounces up at the same time that he loses his footing on the pitch. 
and that's that famous penalty area where the where everyone keeps losing their footing on the penalty spot and they had to um they actually replaced it with some astroturf this um for that yep. game and um he's lost his foot and as he's lost his foot it's swung his body around and it just so happens to swing his arm into the ball there was no movement of his hands towards the ball it was everything about it was natural so if it would have been given i think it'd been really harsh but like i say <laughs> in at the other end i 100 percent want that <laughs> That's a fair point. Anyone else want to comment on that before I talk about the second one? Uh, uh, just, just that honestly, we we had the Townsend one and Matt before on this one. We've gotten lucky on on handballs. Let's be fair. So, I, mean, I think in both cases they were both penalty kicks. Honestly, yeah, Townsend was Townsend was definitely handball. No arguments there. Okay. Yeah. So the second one was was Shane Long's usual trick, right? He's gonna the, dive in a minute. Uh, he cannot, in a minute. He cannot help it. <laughs> it's it's get body across and immediately stop running and fall over. It's it's every yeah, time it's con- there's contact, but yeah. but everyone it's the home fans scream for it. But they must know they see the guy play. They must know he does it. He, that's his thing. He runs across the line of another player running and then stops. Should be a free he, kick for obstruction. Absolutely, it really should. I find it offensive, deeply, deeply. <laughs> If I ever meet the guy, I'm going to tell him to his stupid munchkin face. Sorry, I've got upset. I've got upset there. But but, the, thing is, the thing about it, Chris, is, I mean, he's been doing it, uh, particularly against us, for years. And we should be expecting it. In fact, it should be a part of Aladdin's team tactics that we know what he's going to do. It's to be expected. I suppose it's like everybody else in the league thinking the same thing about Wilf will go down if you blow on him. Okay, but it's the same with you know, the Shane Long thing. He's been doing it for years. It's what we expect, the, the cheating bastard. I just wish someone would highlight it in one of the, you know, like a match of the day feature. You could probably go over the last sort of three, four years or whatever and take maybe 20, 30 times he does it and go, look, what's this? This isn't gamesmanship. This is just blatant cheating. Uh, I'm glad the referee didn't give it, but unfortunately what happened... Um, as a result of the myth that the handball not being given and the penalty uh, claim that Shane Long's not being given, is the crowd got up and it, it, they were making an awful lot of noise. And suddenly it just seemed that that kind of it gave a bit of emphasis to Southampton's play, gave them a bit of purpose, gave them a bit of they felt wronged, they felt like they'd been they had a sort of a point to prove all of a sudden, and it and it just seemed to put the you know, the, the fear of God into our defence because people were backpedalling all of a sudden instead of, you know, keeping tight with a man and all that sort of stuff. And that's that's what I was saying, Patrick, before we got on our little tangent over the penalties. That's what I think changed. Is that a fair comment? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's like the inevitability of something going to go wrong because, like you just said, the crowd's getting up, they're getting up, and the referee's probably thinking his head, well, I might have missed that one or that two. You know, I mean, you can make, make it up a little bit. Just let, it, let the game flow and... Unfortunately, that was that was a bad call because you know if he calls that foul, then they obviously don't, they don't get a chance to cross the ball and score. So you're right because I think those incidents definitely led to impetus to get that uh, no, non-call for us, and then having Southampton, uh, you know, get that goal. Yeah, and it is a clear foul, isn't it, Terence on, on Wilf? It's as, as clear as you like, and it's got it's the only reason I can see that not being given is because Roger East has has been affected by the the two calls before it. Well, I think the linesman or assistant referee, whatever, has some accountability there, considering like he, he must have been able to smell the sweat on the two of them because <laughs> that he was so close to them. It's absolutely ridiculous decision that it's not been given. And it was right in front of the Palace fans as well when everyone's up in arms. But instantly from the cross, it's, um, I mean, it's a, it's a good finish from uh, 
um, um, Redmond at the end there because it's one of those ones where if he connects cleanly, he probably hits it into a defender, but where, where he misconnects with it and it just bobbles in. Like, and I'm glad to see no one criticised Hennessy for it because as a goalkeeper, you really can't save that. It's, no. It doesn't matter how close it looks to him. Through bodies bobbling away, there's no way you're getting it. What I, what I did look at, and again, I, I don't want to pick out criticism for no reason, but I thought, okay, the, the foul's not been given, you know, but but it's not an immediate cross, it's not an immediate danger. Straight, it, it's 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 not long after. You're talking, you know, a couple of seconds that the ball comes in, but obviously you can't stop playing and, and wave your arms about or anything like that, and, and no one does. We carry on playing, so there's there's a job to do, you know. There's a there's a Schlupp's out there, you know, his his job is to try and stop those crosses coming in. Ward on the other side is the same, and, you know, we don't do that well enough from the fullback areas anyway, which is a constant frustration for me. But, you know, okay, the ball comes in, and, and what happens is that you have two centre backs there in, in Kelly and, and, and Sacco who are, who are there to, to head out from the six yard box. For some reason, Joel Ward has got caught trying to come for that and trying to head it out. Now, he might look at that and think, okay, in my judgment, neither Sacco or Kelly's going to get there, so I've got to get there. But he goes under the flight of the ball. And, of course, it's his man who scores. If, if he just you know, stays where he is... Do you know what I think that is, though? Um, because earlier in the half, Redmond had beaten him to a header, which should never happen. Yeah, really, no. the height yeah. difference between the two. So Redmond beat him to the header, which Hennessy just tips around the post. And it, that was probably in his mind that, oh, I can't let that happen again. And he's just got flustered and caught out by it. Yeah. And, with, you know... It was pretty much summed up his awful performance for me. Yeah, it really, it really was poor, unfortunately. And, and again, well, we've picked that out. And the only other thing I can think of, I don't know if you, you whether you're on, on Terence's side with this, Nick, or you, maybe you think this is a point as well. But because Kelly was potentially having a bit of a shocker, his Ward's sort of a bit too concerned about, you know, Kelly's performance and, and trying to do his job for him. Well, the, the performance, unfortunately, then went downhill in the second half that we'll come on to. But, I mean, it, what I was actually thinking while I was watching it is it was actually a little bit Pardew-esque, wasn't it? I mean, that's their that was their performance level last night. It, it was Pardew-esque. Uh, neither of them uh, performed how we know that they can, especially Ward, after what we saw him doing in the weekend. Yeah. But Chris, can I add one thing, though? Yeah. I, I just kind of noticed that I just thought from the beginning, Kelly and Sacco just didn't have a just didn't communicate very well the whole entire match. I think that's a, a key thing. I think Tompkins and Sacco have something going on. I don't know what it is. You can just tell. I think even Dan and, and Sacco, but anybody else back there just doesn't. Delaney, Kelly, they don't have communicate. I don't know if Sacco is, you know, overly, you know, aggressive, whatever. I don't know what it is exactly, but I just see there's a definite connection between Tompkins and Sacco and no one else has that connection. And that's a big issue for us. And then, like you just said, with Ward trying to make up for Kelly's problem, you know, that, that made it just that much worse. Yeah, no, Based on um, last night's performance, I don't think Joel Ward would even get into our um, Homesdale charity event at Sellers Park. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! That's that's bad. You know, and again, I know we've had, we've had messages in the past when we've criticised Ward and we talked about the fact that he's played such a vital part for Palace over over the years. But you know, that's not what this is about. It's about analysing a performance, and I think he's struggling. You know, and the way I feel about Ward these days is. You know, come the summer, if, if we've stayed in the Premier League, it's the first position I want sorted out. You know, we if you if you look at the the better teams in the league, and if, you know even sort of in the bottom half of the table, the, the fullbacks properly get forward. You know, and Van Aanholt does that well and, and can defend, despite what Sunderland fans said. But but you know, Ward's he, he just doesn't stop crosses for a start, and that's a frustration. 
You know, because I, I see that as a real key part of a, of a fullback's job. You know, stop that danger at the source. Don't don't let people run round you easily. Don't. You know, and, and he's always he's always seems to be beaten by just a little kick to the side. You kick and run against Ward. And unfortunately, that's that's costing us uh, in in a lot of games. Um, he's a weakness, and I, I just want to see a, a right back who can get up and down that pitch. You know, the modern right back, if you like, the modern Premier League right back, who's a, a fixture in attack as well as defence, and but but first and foremost gets the defending right. But there we go. Uh, it's 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 un, say it's unfortunate. At his best, he's he's, a, he's still a good fullback, but. You know, it's, it's a position we need to look at. So going into into half time, obviously you you want a reorganisation, you want a response. Uh, key for me, Nick, I think, is Kabai going off with a calf injury at half time because for whatever people think about Johan Kabai, you know, and, and, he, and his form over the last sort of eighteen months or so under Allardyce, he has grown in stature and he's grown in influence. And he's been a big player for us with McArthur not available uh, because of these back spasms he's been having. Uh, Kabai going off. And you look at the fact that Sacco's the one who comes on. Uh, call it, and an, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what else we had option-wise from the bench. Um, I, I really don't. But it, you, Flamini, probably. F- yeah, well, there you go. And obviously, he's had a lot of injury. But that that you know that kind of would have felt a more obvious choice, wouldn't it? Um, so two questions in one, really. There for you, Nick. First of all, how big a blow was losing Kabai? Was it you know was it the reason we no chance of a response? Uh, but second of all. Why Sacco? Yeah, two questions. Uh, I, I think we touched on the Kibai situation at the weekend a little bit. I mean, let's face it, he has been, his performance against Chelsea, I don't know, I, I haven't got a, a word for it, but tigerish was the word that came into my head while you were talking just then. And that's what he's been. His, his performances of late have just been, it, it's what we bought you for, okay? We haven't seen it right way through the season, but of late, that's what we've seen. Um, as to the replacement, uh, we, on the bench, we had Delaney, Friars, Flamini, Lee, Sacco and Kai Kai. Um, if he wanted to respect the point, which is uh, one of his famous expressions, yeah. I think Flamini would have probably been the better option. Anybody Sorry, I was, I was stunned, stunned by your comments. Yeah. Why? <laughs> I, wasn't, I, I was putting something down, I knew he was going to make a noise, so I muted and I wasn't quick enough to get back. <laughs> Why were you stunned by my comments? Were I, I that wasn't. Was, that was controversial. My that was my excuse for being quiet. <laughs> it was really just my inability to move quickly. Um, no, look, it was, yeah, yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a, for me, it was a, it was a strange choice. You, you've picked out some options there. I completely forgot Lee was on the bench as well. There could be a bit of a reshuffle there. Uh, but but for me, it was responsible for the fact that we found no fluency in the second half. We we barely created a chance. I think Terence, I'm probably right in saying Kelly's shot at the, hit the post was probably our only chance second half. Yeah, but that was from a, a effectively just a lump into the penalty area. Um, so just when we had the opportunities to get the ball into the penalty area, we, we chucked it in there. But um, yeah, I thought Southampton marshaled us really well. When as I say, Tadic just run all over us. You know, and obviously, um, I, I don't want to dwell too much more on this game. So this is going to come to a conclusion quite rapidly now. Um, but let, let's sort of talk a little bit about what happened. So we, we managed to stay relatively resolute, um, although under constant pressure. But we've been under pressure. In, you know, you think look at the pressure we're under against Chelsea, and we, we stayed resolute and didn't concede. But um, for me, we just we just ran out of legs a bit. Took a couple of games in quick succession, injuries, all that kind of stuff. Players not really knowing where they're playing, particularly Sacco. Um, uh, that's 
Bakary Sacco Rolf than uh, Mamadou. And it's, you know, it, it, it was tough to take, but really we got to, the, we almost got to a point where we kind of, we'd kind of, kind of weathered the storm. We just needed to get hold of the ball. And, um, and the clearances started to get a bit more rushed. And that's what cost us. It was, it was Joel Ward, unfortunately, um, you know, coming back to, back to Joel, who cleared the ball very weakly with his left foot. You know, and it just it just put us under. It gave the ball straight back to Southampton, and they, they were unable to put. And it was eventually it was within a couple of passes back to Redmond, and it was up to Ward again to try to stop that cross coming in. Couldn't do it. Uh, ball in the box. Uh, I think there's the two centre backs in there. I think Stevens sort of had, had a swipe at it, and it ended up with Yoshida tapping in at, at the far post. And it's just a killer goal. There's, there's, there's no way back from that, is there, Patrick? Nah. Uh, the person who scored it, who one of the probably one of the worst defenders in the Premier League. The timing of it, the manner of it, it just, it just, everything about it was just, just killer for us. And something we haven't seen under, under, um, you know, under this manager, which I've always, you know, been very complimentary of the fact that we'd be able to, you know, hold on and, you know, give up a goal late first half, late second half. It's very unpadded like of late. But again, it comes down to again, I go back to again the injuries that we've had, and uh, and again I'll say again the Southampton really picked out, you know, our weaknesses and you know we we had a weakened team yesterday. There's no doubt about it. We weren't playing our strongest eleven. Unfortunately, and that wasn't due to anybody's fault. Injuries happened, but I think that was the key. And if we could have held on for that point, it would have been a huge point. But again, they did what they had to do, and it's unfortunate. But that's why I hate playing Southampton, especially in, in the league. Yeah, yeah, never get much joy there in the league. Nope. Um, and and Terence, you know, in that goal, obviously, a lot of players marking space, not marking the man, and it was very much the same for the for the second goal. Obviously, we had tried to sort of. It was almost a goal on the break, uh, although we got plenty of people back, but no one really going with the player. Um, and that's again. That was a feature of, of the poor run under Padre, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the third one, I'm not really reading too much into. What they got a lot of players into the box. It was one thing that they struggled to do um, throughout the, you know, the previous 80 minutes. And Chelsea also struggled to do it the week before. You know, they put so many good crosses into great areas, but there was no one in there. And when they're getting as many people into the box as they did, as we're talking there, there was defenders in there as well as attackers. It was there's not much you can really do. You can't pick up everyone. I I, I'm not going to be hypercritical based on you know crosses from the byline where they've got all the time in the world to pick a man out. Yeah, that, that's absolutely fair enough. And uh, and I suppose just to round off, Nick, as much as we've lost that game, and, and I suppose a lot of the pressure comes from the fact that Hull are just pulling out result after result after result. But you know. We must retain a bit of perspective, surely. You know, if these two results had been the other way, we'd lost to Chelsea and beaten Southampton. I think there'd probably still be a hell of a lot of optimism rather than the sort of panic we saw as, as a result of this match. We've we've been discussing this for weeks now. We knew that the we've got a run of tough games coming up, and we'd picked out certain games that we we needed to pick up some points on. The bonus was the Chelsea win. Um, I think I would have been satisfied with the point lot on against Southampton, but it's. Yeah, perspective is what we need now. It's it's not over. We still got was it a three point gap still? We've got plenty of time. And, and you know, I still can't, I've been saying it for weeks that my my thought process is it's going to come down to that all important game against Hull, and let's hopefully they've lost a bit of um, momentum by then, and we can pick up three vital points. And that that'll be the game that uh, sends one of us down. I think. There we go. Predictions from Nick. Uh, good stuff. Cheers. Thank you very much, gentlemen. It's time for me to pass the hosting pants over to Terence uh, as we get to preview Palace versus Arsenal. 
ever dreamt of playing a full 90 minutes at Selhurst Park? Now is your chance. Visit www.holradio.net for more information. Yes, so welcome back. Um, I'm climbing into Chris's hot seat. Like, literally, we've we've changed seats. Um, you left it very warm. I do wish you'd wear trousers, Chris. Uh, come on, they're, they're restrictive. I need, to, I need to be free. <laughs> right, so technically this is... Um, Episode 26 of the preview podcast. They're really racking up fast. Um, I'm, of course, Terence Ford of VedenBlarmy.co.uk, and um, we already know that we've got Nick, Phil, Pop, Patrick O'Connor, and, you know, the other host. Um, later on, we're going to be talking <laughs> to... Um, <laughs> our opposition view this week is going to be brought to us from a man that made his name on the soap opera that is Arsenal Fan TV. That's Kenny Ken. And uh, our classic match will fly through this week, but it just happens to be uh, my first ever Crystal Palace match, which was our trip to Highbury back in October 1994. Um, right, we're going to start with flares this week. Um, the police have said uh, several devices were let off inside the away end at Stamford Bridge on Saturday, and officers seized a number of other devices on the day as well. Flares and pyrotechnic devices inside stadia are very dangerous as they can reach extremely high temperatures. There is a very good reason why they are banned from football matches as they can cause horrific injuries and can be frightening for many young fans that attend matches. Some fans might think that setting off a flare is a good way to support your team, but it's putting yourself and fellow fans at risk. Bringing flares to football matches is completely unacceptable and you can expect to be arrested and charged if you are caught in possession of such a device. So, Chris, I like, <laughs> I'm de- it was 100% I'm coming to you. Um, with the way we see around Europe and you see all of these teams that the whole stadium's got flares and it all looks crazy but relatively safe, um, do you think this is just very a very, very British thing that we're like, oh, it's health and safety, it's going to get a bit hot? Right, this is a really difficult one, okay, because the, the simple facts of it are that a, a flare, we're talking about a flare, right? When we're talking yes, about... And that, final, this was an actual flare, yeah. Smoke bombs, blah, 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 blah. There's a, limited, there's a limited argument as to how dangerous they actually are, and they do add a lot to the atmosphere and all that kind of stuff, right? A, a flare that burns at several thousand degrees heat uh, around people who are nothing to do with it, not prepared for it, and, and particularly around kids and that kind of stuff... You know what? I, do, I see the point. You know, I, you know, in my day-to-day life, safety um, is is a huge, huge thing. I have to deal with health and safety legislation all the time. I totally get it, right? I totally get it. But I've I, this is and this this I have this opinion on a load of different topics. You know, in in, in my life and, and with regards to laws and all that kind of stuff. I believe that if it's it's like anything, you risk manage, right? If you're prepared for it, if you accept it exists, and you accept it's going to happen. And you do everything you can to ensure it's safe, and you like so you make sure that there aren't flammable materials around. You make sure the only people around are people who are know how to handle these things and are prepared for what the implications are. And potentially there's something on hand where they could, you know, let's just say it gets out of hand. If, if there's a bucket of water down the front that someone can chuck it into, and go well, that guy out of hand stopped it. Great, you know what I mean? That's that's how you deal with things that that are, are potentially going to create an unsafe atmosphere. If that's not going to happen, then bottom line is you've got to hold your hands up and say fair, fair play. Flares is, is a step too far. I, I like I like the aesthetic, right? 
and again you say you point around Europe and you say how many different times have all the, fl the flares in, in all these games and you're particularly talking about the culture around ultras and you know really really vociferous kind of groups how many times has that actually been an incident but that doesn't help the, the you know if it's just once that that's not that doesn't help someone who who went to watch a football match and doesn't get to go home or, or wakes up in hospital with third degree burns all over the shop. You know that that's it's such a difficult issue, but that that's where I am on it. Have I dodged that well enough? I think you tiptoe around that very well. Cheers. <laughs> uh, me on the other hand, I think as soon as kids are old enough to walk, they should have a flare strapped to each hand for every game <laughs> and just be holding them above their heads, <laughs> get them used Crikey. to early doors. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I I mean. I think it's silly, really. You're going to get a criminal record. I think it's a bit. I think it's a bit silly. Smoke bombs and so on. They won't. They're not going to come down on you as hard. But a flare is a, like you say, it's a flame. I think you're just running a stupid risk. Especially, you know, it's so clear. The cameras are so good. The person holding it can't deny that it's them. You know. So. Um... As was the case on Saturday, because uh, again we discussed it on the show on Sunday. But what's made me laugh consequently, and I was right that there's been a certain amount of charges made. Uh, and people that weren't just arrested, they were charged as well. But it's also mm. come out from the Metropolitan Police that the uh, they found two stashes of them, one in the gentleman's yeah. toilets at Stamford Bridge and one in a cemetery up the road. And yeah. my understanding is that they actually hid the stash of um, explosives, fireworks, or whatever you want to call them, incendiary devices, up a tree. Mm. <laughs> and they did. <laughs> and that's what I found out today. Um, they if you can dig out the picture of um, the, the bag, the bag, I'm doing the quotes, the bag that they found in the cemetery, it looks properly moody, like they've placed it there. <laughs> it, it's got the most like wit, like most awkward looking red and blue thing with it, just to say, look, this was Crystal Palace. I'm, I'm, I'm not having that. That was planted. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. Uh, Van Arnholt's been talking this week about his time at Sunderland. He said, I did not enjoy David Moyes' training sessions. Uh, eventually, I lost my love for the game and went into the dressing room feeling annoyed every day. When Sunderland turned down an offer for me from Crystal Palace, I went to see Moyes in his office three or four times. I was angry, I told him. Accept Palace's bid and let me leave. It's the best thing for all concerned. But he said he wanted to keep hold of me. Um, I think comments like that and everything that's been coming out about Moyes recently and um, Patrick, he's, um, he's going to take him down, isn't he? So that's one less team we have to worry about. There's, there's no doubt they're going down. It's, it, they survived the last, what, three or four seasons with basically a miracle ending to the season. So it's about time they went down. I always hate Sunderland, so I'm glad they're going down. I feel a bit bad for Moyes from this standpoint. Um, since he's left Everton, he really hasn't done much uh, with other clubs. So, you know, the reputation's getting kind of spoiled. I, I didn't like what he did with the reporter. I thought that was terrible. Um, I, I'm just hearing that Van Aanholt quote. I didn't know it was so bad. But just based on how they're playing, they've you know, they've won five matches all season. Obviously, sessions were boring because they're not winning. So, um Again, you just said it's one less thing to worry about, probably two with Middlesbrough, so um, who cares about Sunderland? Yeah, I would just say, um, personally from me, I will not consider your agenda when I'll slap you, I'll just slap you. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> edit that out now, edit that. I'm Listen, I'm, I'm supposed to be Mr. Controversial, <laughs> controversial around here, not you. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm happy for Sunderland and Middlesbrough to go. They are very long away games, so I could do with them off the pad. But um, talking of away games, if you are heading to Liverpool, um, you can actually get £10 off your ticket with um, 
Virgin Media very smartly have worked out, uh, have joined up with 20, uh, 20's Plenty with the um, FSF to say anyone who's paying more than £20 a ticket can have the extra money refunded on the sort of penultimate week. I mean, you know, it's uh, beginning of April, I think it is. Uh, sorry, end of April, sorry. Um, so when we go to Liverpool, we're paid £30 and now refund £10. But um, you do have to provide them with a bunch of details and your match ticket. So it's a smart way of them getting some really good press, I think, and um, but also getting a lot of people's personal details, which are very expensive things these days. So make sure you look out for that. Um, I think we should move into the game now because otherwise we'll be here all year. <laughs> uh, right, we've obviously touched on uh, the injuries before. Uh, Patrick, how do you th- how do you think we line up? Um, do you you touched on before whether you think we could maybe would have started the Southampton game with three at the back. Having seen Kelly play alongside Sacco, do you think having Delaney in there against Arsenal as extra cover is a wise thing? Yeah, I, I do think that. I, I don't know. I don't think. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. We can go with Kelly and Sacco again. It just didn't look right. Um, so I would go either three or I would start Delaney. It's going to be very unbalanced with the um, the two of them back there. But I, I think that uh, you have to go with the more experience of Delaney, especially the way that Arsenal plays. The other thing is I think that with Kabai out, you've got some options in midfield. I would lean, personally, I'd lean towards Flamini in there with Milivojevic. I think that would be a good uh, midfield as far as with punching. But... I think he'll probably go with Sacco again. I've got a funny feeling, Sacco. It seems like he likes Sacco. Um, everything else, I think, will pretty much stay the same. Schlup at left back and Ward at right back. Um, obviously, Punch and Zaha, Benteke, uh, Townsend. So it's, it's going to be interesting, Terence. I, I, the thing is, with Kabai out, you can go three in the back. You don't lose that midfielder because obviously, if you play three, you're going to lose a midfielder. So then you've played mm. those three. You've got Townsend still wide, Zaha, Benteke, Punch, and obviously the two wing backs in Schlup and Ward. So. He's got an interesting dilemma. I'm really concerned about injuries. I think we can definitely survive, but the injury at this time of the season is really, really not a good thing, and it's, it's a worrying sign. Yeah, so um, I think when you looked at the end of the Chelsea game when Damo came on, he sort of went into the middle and sort of played as a sweeper, really. Um, right, right, right. So I think that would... How how Delaney would set up in a three, possibly, and that kind of counteracts the problem of him being left-footed and having two left-footed footed centre-backs in there. Um, <clears throat> so, Nick, if if MacArthur's fit and available, do you put him straight back in, regardless of his lack of playing time? I'm really pleased you mentioned him because I've actually had done a little bit of work on the physio room and I do love to disagree with Patrick O'Connor because I don't think it will be Sacco in the middle. I think it will be 
uh, Jimmy Mack back because uh, looking Flamini, at this... not Sacco. No, when no one's ever putting Sacco in the middle ever again. I thought that's what Patrick just said. <laughs> I, po- did say, I did say that. He, he did say that. Oh, sorry. I thought you said Flamini, sir. My bad. No, 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 I no, said no. Flamini first, and I said it'll probably be Sacco. Based it'll on probably be Sacco, but I think it'll be Jimmy Mack. Anyway, go, just going to the list of quick, very quickly. I don't see how Loic Remy has managed to injure himself again, but he has. But the list is Remy, Kabai, Tompkins, Dan Campbell, Possibly MacArthur, Van Arnholt, Wickham, Mandanda, ben, Jonathan Benteke, and Papa Soiree. Okay, so that's 11 of our squad out. Nine of those are first team players. And I think that is a worrying sign for us. Um, but my, on, on the lineup, I really think it's going to be. Um, and it, the only one it does say on there is Jimmy Mack, only three days left on his injury plan. So I, I believe he will be back in the team. And then he will be the ideal or direct replacement for. Kabai. So the actual possible, the potential lineup, I don't actually think looks too bad on paper. Mm. So, you know, Arsenal are looking like they've hit a bit of form now, Chris. Do you do you think it's right to set up in a defensive fashion as Allardyce is? You know, I, I guess we didn't sit overly deep against Chelsea. We didn't start with five at the back. But do you think with the way Arsenal seem to have hit stride as they so often do towards the back end of the season that? It's wise to go with five. I, I I do to a point, although I'd quite like to see how we managed it against Chelsea was was excellent. But obviously, what happened in that game really gave us the opportunity to do that. As in, we scored two quick goals and got to half time. And you know, the the changes we made were kind of enforced, so we almost lucked upon the fact that it was the right time to go to a back three. So I, I actually want to see us start the same way we started against Chelsea, which was two banks of four, and then Zaha pushed up with Benteke with the two sort of drifting into the wide channels. Because I think that works really well. It, it gives you a... It, it, you know, Arsenal are going to pass all over the place, just like Chelsea did. They're going to have the majority of possession. They're going to try these intricate little moves, lots of different shapes, triangles, all that kind of stuff, trying to just get them, get their way through us. And we just need to have that resolute two banks of four approach. So that's the only thing that I think that we can legitimately do. Um, and it all comes down to just how much space Zaha gets, in my opinion. That's that's what the whole game is about for us as an attacking force. If Arsenal do what Arsenal can do, which is pretty much disregard the opposition as an attacking force and just assume that they can play play their way to a win, I think Zaha has just is just in the form where he can damage them. So tactically, I think we've already got a system that we've seen. Um, if the injuries mean we have to start with a back three, I think Patrick and, and Nick would you know, have pretty much highlighted the, the issue with the personnel we have losing that, that midfielder or, or sacrificing something in attack. We, we might just see attack versus defence and we will concede if that happens if we haven't got players back. Yeah. Very interesting points. Um, Patrick, do you think this is Milivojevic's biggest challenge since he's arrived at the club? Because you look at Chelsea's central midfield and, you know, you've got Kante and Matic and... Fabregas is it's not quite as daunting as when you're looking at you know you've always got Sanchez dropping into the hole and joining Urzel in there as well. Yeah, it could be. Um, I like his physicality though. I think he, if he plays the way he normally plays, if he can he can knock Ozil around. We've seen Ozil has been he's been he's been lost this most of this season for Arsenal. So biggest challenge definitely. But I think that um you know he he could be up for it. And again, losing goodbye is going to be a big miss. I'm I'm concerned about that. That's going to be a a problem as Chris just said Arsenal's ball passed the ball all around us all day so I really like the idea he just stated to play 
uh, Zaha and Benteke when he played against Chelsea that was so so effective. And, and uh, let's be honest, Arsenal's defence is not very good this season, especially Bellerin's having a, a, a shocker this whole year. So is their, you know, their left-back. So I think you know, playing that way could really help us. Mm. And Nick, do you think do you think Ben is going to cons- continue his scoring run? Uh, actually, my prediction will. Uh, I, I won't, actually, I won't tell you what my prediction is yet. Uh, but the answer to your question very simply is, yeah, I think he will. Um, he will score this weekend. Ben and I did predict he would score last week, and uh, I got that bit right. But it's. Um, I hope he does. You can tell he's in a different place now since he came back from his international break, scoring those two goals. Uh, his, his, his performance on Saturday at Chelsea, I've never seen him run around so much okay, and get more involved as much as he did at the weekend. Um, probably a bit less last night for the Southampton game. I hope he picks it up against the Arsenal. He, seem, he seems to thrive on the big games, doesn't he? Yeah, he certainly does. And he has a you know a history of scoring against big clubs. Um, I think it was the Ch- the Chelsea goal was the third time he scored against Chelsea. Well, with the third different club he scored for against Chelsea. So um, you know these we've spent thirty two million pound on him. This is the sort of times that he needs to step up, I guess. And um, I think he's done that in the last couple of weeks. And um, I think. You know, the little boot, Allardyce gave him that little constructive boost to say, you know, it's, it needs to be Benteke that gets the goals in this run-in. Um, he said that before the Chelsea game and, you know, he's got two and two now and um, it'll be interesting to see where we go from there. Look, I'm keeping it as brief as possible so we can fly through all the wonderful content we have for you. So um, we'll end up there and then after this jingle, we will be back talking to Kenny Ken. Every picture tells a story. Keep up to date with ours on Instagram at Homestale Radio. Right, yes, we are now joined by Arsenal fan Kenny Kent. Is it fair to say you you come to fame through Arsenal fan TV, mate? Uh, yeah, I was I was involved in Arsenal fan TV. Rob, me and Robbie have been uh, was very kind to give me a, a go at Arsenal fan TV. And I did it for about a year, and I've also um, been kindly. Um, um, invited on other podcasts like the Gunners Talk, um, same old Arsenal, Gunner News. I've even I've even guest starred on a Chelsea channel, Chelsea SW6. So my service, my um, they've been very kind to um, manage to listen to my outpourings of um, Arsenal, Arsenal, Arsenal. And I did Fan TV, which is um, no longer with Indeed. us at the moment, but yeah. but it's I've had a very it's been very enjoyable, to, and I'm very honoured for you to think me and to invite me onto your your show. No, of course, mate. You're very welcome. Um, so we've got to start with a big question, obviously, for all Arsenal fans. Uh, Wenger in mm. or out? Um, I've, I, I want Arsenal Wenger to be replaced. I've wanted Arsenal Wenger to be replaced since the 2009. Um, there were warning signs in 2007 when we played Chelsea in the League Cup final where um, Arsenal, well, Chelsea played their best side. They played um, Didier Drogba, Terry, Lampard, they had Czech in goal. And Arsenal then went to play the kids. Now, these are the warning signs. Um, Chelsea beat us 2-1. You know, we gave a good account of ourselves, but instead of us playing the trophy, it was Chelsea playing the trophy. And Arsenal then decided to accept Craig congratulations that he used the kids. But those kids have never um, materialised into um, top players. And so, in fact, the only kids sort of come through it's probably Fabregas and um, Jack Wilshire um, but then there's other things the DNA of um, Arsene Wenger's side especially since 2009 especially in the big games have caused me great concern and 
since um, my um, me calling for Arsenal to be replaced in 2009, we haven't been proved wrong. We still get um, our record against uh, our rivals is not good enough. Um, tactically, we have been left behind by the bigger sides in Europe, especially in the Premiership. And what's happening now is that teams um, across the Premiership no longer fear Arsenal. They they feel not just that. Um, they're away at their respective grounds, but even at the Emirates, teams will have a go at us. And I think um, proof of pudding could be at, um, this Monday when we play you at Sells Park. You know, oh, like, yeah. you're playing I mean, with a lot of confidence. You are the big team, the only big team we haven't um, beaten now, I think, out of all the ones at the top. So um, maybe United as well, since well, we returned to the top. Yeah, but I, th- I think what it is is that you haven't had a really good record against us for the last... Um, Maybe, I mean, like, if you look at your record against <laughs> us. Well, it's not so, so I think there was a time when you beat us in 1980 when, um, when I think, um, when I think it was a Peter Nicholas score for you guys in 1980. Mm-hmm. And then, um, before that, it was in 94-95 where you beat us at, at, at um, beat us at Highbury oh, 2-1. Yeah. And, so, and that was that, and, that, and I, I believe that's the last time that Crystal Palace have, have beaten us. So we have got, well, it's kind of the Indian rubber sign over you. And um, you've been very kind to um, um, let us sign some of your players. We managed to get um, Ian Wright. Thank you very much for that. That was Peter right. Nicholas Eddie, before that. Eddie McGoldrick. Peter Nicholas before that. <laughs> Eddie McGoldrick as well. He's an Islington boy from um, Brett's right sort of road, not too far from me. Went to the same secondary school as me, although he's a few years older than oh. me. But yeah, you're very kind to um, um, give us some of your, your players. Um, about, Kenny, think, it, was, know, it, it was so long ago that we last beat you, mate. That that was that was my first ever Crystal Palace game that I went to. <laughs> you went to your first Crystal Palace away game at the Emirates. Like, no, no my first week. ever Crystal Palace game was in that nineteen ninety four game. You, you ma- <laughs> well, yeah, I know you 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 beat you beat us uh, quite comfortably. We managed to pull one back. Yeah. I think right, you got the, pulled the goal back. But in, ter- yeah. in terms of in terms of um, you know your magician Arsenal Wenger, obviously the Arsenal. Fan base is very divided. Mm. Um, I think there is there is a grasp for change. I think every football fan in the country, and every pundit in the country knows that Arsenal Wenger is not the man to lead our, take Arsenal forward. But so, mate, it's purely a respect thing with Arsenal Wenger that a lot of people respect Arsenal Wenger because of who he was previously as a coach and his mm. standing in English football. But if you ask any Arsenal fan or any person who respects Arsenal Wenger for at least one footballing reason for him to continue in his job, you may find that they won't be able to provide you with one. Okay. Well, look, so going into um, the game against us, you've had a a pretty good draw against Man City and you thrashed West Ham yesterday. Um, Is this the start of the Arsenal that will win nine games on the bounce or do you just not have that in you anymore? Because you always seem to do that towards the back end of a season. That's a very good question because I think what it says is that uh, whenever the top falls in jeopardy, um, what seems to happen is that it seems to galvanise mm. us. But I think what, I think the, th- the thing that um, you notice about our Arsenal sides is that when the press is off, um, we tend to play um, very good football. We tend to be um, very difficult to beat. And I think what it is is that challenging for the title and challenging for the you know Champions League, especially against the better sides, I think that weighs too heavily on our on our players, especially um, when you've got a, t- a dressing room which is not for them neither. Like our most experienced is Matt Saka, and mm. and he's for some <laughs> selecting, um, making available for selection. We we've got a potential leader in Petacek. 
he should have been a Mayday captain, in my opinion, instead of um, Lloyd Kishon because of leadership qualities. But again, there's question marks from some um, fans and certain pundits that Petr is past his best. So it's one of those things where ordinarily we will we do struggle when the pressure's on. However, the thing the thing the thing is right is that we're not in the greatest of form, but you are right. You know we can you know last nine games of the season that's where we were at, we were at our strongest and our fittest. Mm. So what was the what was the difference against West Ham yesterday? Well, in yesterday's game, I think the first half West Ham um, had a game plan. They, um, like I said, they tried to hit us on the break and they defended them um, very stoutly. I thought I thought Font and um, Collins played very well, and um, you know they were like I said, um, Mikel Tanio um, was very strong in the counter attack, and they were using Andy Carroll to hold the ball up very well. But I think when you're playing a team like West Ham, they're very low in confidence. You get the first goal against um, West Ham, which we did in the second half. Uh, West Ham kind of capitulated, and you, you could tell that you know like, all, all is not well with um, with the players and um, Slaven Bennett. I mean, taking Andy Carroll off after about sixty after sixty minutes was a very strange decision for me. Mm, well, especially he's in my fantasy team as well, so I don't want to see him taken off after 60 minutes. Well, well I must say that if any any Carroll's in your fantasy team, you may find that he's probably going to spend a lot of time on the treatment table. <laughs> <laughs> well, going in, um, obviously what you're saying there about West Ham, though, is obviously music to our ears because we're going to need as many teams struggling down there with us as possible uh, for the remainder well, of the Swansea season. Did, Swansea did... Swansea, Swansea, um, did um did you a massive favour i um surrendering a one nil lead with um one minute ago mm. so like i said that didn't that didn't help that helped crystal palace but it didn't help arsenal because we no. don't like we don't particularly like finishing below tottenham yeah, no, well, um, it's, it looks like it's going to happen this season for the first time in a long time. Um, but Ooh, okay, Monday night, oh, it's a long way away, Kenny, they're a long way away. Yeah. Um, but for Monday night, what do, what do you think the score is going to be? Well, I think Monday night, it's, I think it's one of those things, we've got a very good record against you. And I'm not, I know a lot of Crystal Palace fans are saying, well, there's a sort of Allardyce finger thing. And I would say that, um, in the last 10 years, we've managed to um, dispel that myth that Allardyce hasn't had the Indian rubber sign over Arsenal Wenger. In fact, we've had very good results against Allardyce's sides in, in the last um, 10 years. But in saying this game, I think that if we keep um, Zahar quiet and, um, move, and we move the ball quickly, we've got a good chance of winning. But I will reiterate that you are playing from, playing very well. Yesterday's result was a probably a brick. You played a very good Southampton side. Yeah. And you know, you've got you've got Sacco in defence who's um like I said, he's managed to um cause make make you very um like hard to beat. So he's gonna be a, a key player for you. And so Zaha. But I would say if we can cut the supply to Benteke, um like I said, bet um Zaha um manages if you know like I said, um how I say um Morale managers keeps our yeah. quite. I think we can, we can. I think we can um, get a very fluky two-one win. <laughs> fluky, <laughs> and um, all right. B- before we finish, we must say um, p- players moving from Palace to Arsenal. I'll get killed if I don't mention that Kenny Sansom, of course, moved from Palace to Arsenal as well. Oh, Kenny, Kenny, I'll, 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 sorry, I'll, I'll, please, please, I'll set my apologies um, about the fact that I didn't mention Kenny Sansom. Kenny Sansom is one of our greatest ever players. He's the best left back to ever play football, and um, he's a, both an Arsenal, Crystal Palace legend. And I think 
Um, at the moment now, I think both Arsenal for Crystal Palace, we need to think about Kenny Sampson, the main. Yeah. Because um, Kenny Sampson, the main, is, a, the, is someone that we're very worried about. I know that Kenny Sampson does a lot of, um, um, like, you know, um, after dinner speaking with Crystal Palace, I know you guys are giving mm-hmm. him a job, and we're very grateful that you're looking after Kenny. And we just pray that, you know, Kenny accepts the help that... Um, um, that, that is an offer, and it accepts the fact that you know, like he's very loved yeah. by a lot of um, people, people, Crystal Palace and Arsenal fans. I know he's got problems with his family. I know he's hurt a lot of people in his family, and that's very angry with him at the moment. But he needs to get. I pray that Kenny gets well, and he, Kenny needs to remember that you know, like I said, one of Kenny's teammates uh, didn't make it. Um, didn't make 34. And we're talking about David Rocastle. We lost yeah. David Rocastle. And Kenny needs to look at someone like David Rocastle and just say, you know what, that that David Rocastle will kill to his family now, and you've got this wonderful life. People will love you, fans will respect you. You need to um, learn to love yourself, Kenny. And I would just wish, mm. from you know, if you if any of you do see Kenny and pass this message on, tell Kenny that he's loved, that he yeah. needs to love himself. Yeah, look. Kenny, those are really nice words to end on, mate. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I'll we'll be in contact to speak to you next you. season as well, mate. Definitely. Got something you'd like to get off your chest? Tweet us now at Whole Radio. Right, predictions time. Um, put out a poll on the Holmesdale Radio Twitter account and... Um, 47% of you joyous people said that we're going to lose the match um, with 29 going for a win and the remaining 24 going for a draw. Do you feel, do you, how are you guys feeling? What are you, Patrick, you're leaning towards a loss? We never beat... I'm so... I hate playing Arsenal. I just really hate <laughs> Arsenal. I hate playing them in... in last year, the, you know, the draw we got Emirates with Velasquez's goal made me so happy because just getting a point from them is like getting three points. But... Uh, I think this year might be the only beat them, actually, so I'm actually going to go for a win. It's got to happen okay. eventually, no? <laughs> eventually, yeah. <laughs> um, what about you, Nick? Do you know what? I'm inclined to agree with Patrick. I, I think it's our time now. Um, let's put uh, Chalk last night down to uh, a blip, and confidence is high through the ranks. We have a decent team on, uh, on paper. I'm going to go for a win as well. Okay, you've got you got a score line there? I'm going with 2-1. Okay, yep. Benteke to continue his scoring. And Luka Milivojevic to score his first goal for the club. Okay, and what, what was your score there, Patrick? Yeah, I'll go 2-1 also. But I'll go with uh, Townsend and Zaha. And, f- of course, last but not least, Hambo. Nutters, absolute nutters. We'll, we will scrape a draw, though. I'll give it that. It'll be 1-1. Uh, I think they'll score early through. Uh, let's pick one out. I don't know if Giroud plays. He'll probably do something ridiculous, like back heel into the top corner again. <laughs> uh, uh, but I think we'll we'll get we'll get late back into the game. And I think it'll be a centre back. I think Sacco, Mamadou Sacco, heading in from a corner. There you go, one one. Okay, I think we're going to lose four one. Ben Teke will score. <laughs> um... <laughs> oh my god! Don't forget, you have got a recent history on this, Terence. You predicted yeah. us to get stuff last weekend, and guess what happened? Yeah, well, maybe I'm trying to do that. Right, so uh, um, on the website football.london, there's a prediction thing. Uh, You can just say what you think the outcomes will be the remaining games for relegation rivals, and it builds you a picture of how the league table will look on the final day. So we're going to go Hambo, Nick, Patrick. I'm going to tell you the fixture, and you just say the team to win or a draw, okay? 
Yep. So we start with you, Hambo. Man City, Hull. Uh, Man City. Okay. Uh, Middlesbrough, Burnley, Nick. Middlesbrough, Burnley. Burnley win. Burnley win. Patrick, West Ham, Swansea. West Ham win. Sunderland, Man U. Who? Uh, that's me. It's a, it's a cycle. It's fine. I got it. I got this. Uh, <laughs> Sunderland, who? <laughs> Man United. Uh, B-Man. Uh, actually, I'm going to go draw. Draw, OK. Um, Crystal Palace, Arsenal, Nick. Well, we've already done that. Palace win. So, uh, good luck. Uh, <laughs> Patrick, Crystal Palace, Leicester. Crystal Palace. Wow. Um, Stoke Hull. Uh, Hull. Sunderland, West Ham. West Ham. Okay. Watford, Swansea. Watford. Okay. Middlesbrough, Arsenal. <laughs> Arsenal. <laughs> Bournemouth, Middlesbrough. Draw. Draw. Arsenal, Sunderland. Arsenal. Hull, Watford. Hull. Oh, Swansea, Ooh. Stoke. Swansea. West Ham, Everton. Everton. Liverpool, Palace. Liverpool. Oh! I win. Middlesbrough, Sunderland. Bloody Draw. Hell, that's a huge game. Uh, Crystal Palace, Tottenham. Draw. Southampton, Hull. Southampton. Stoke, West Ham. West Ham. West Ham. Ooh. Sunderland, Bournemouth. Bournemouth. Oh, Crystal Palace, Burnley. That'll be Palace. Oh, that's the, that's the big one, isn't it? One of the big ones in there. Man United, Swansea. Man United. Middlesbrough, Man City. <laughs> Man City. West Ham, Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham. Yeah, Man City Palace. Man City. Hull Sunderland. Hull. Swansea Everton. Uh, Swansea. Oh wow. Yeah, I could just <laughs> I just think there's gonna be the that time of the season, isn't it? Um Chelsea Middlesbrough. It's <laughs> an easy one in it, Chelsea. Yeah. Crystal Palace Hull. Crystal Palace. <laughs> Middlesbrough, Southampton. That's got draw written all over. Uh, actually, draw. <laughs> Sunderland, Swansea. Wow. Swansea. Oh my goodness! West Ham, Liverpool. Draw. And Burnley, West Ham. I'm gonna go Burnley on that one. Oh, uh, Chelsea, Sunderland. I think that's an easy one. E- easy one, Chelsea. And Hull, Tottenham. Tottenham. Come on, Spurs. Liverpool, Middlesbrough. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not feel sick saying that? Uh, Liverpool. And May United, Crystal Palace. Ugh. Draw. Swansea, West Brom. Oh, Tony Pulis is going to play yeah, the kids, isn't he? Exactly. Swansea City. <laughs> no doubt. Right. So, Sunderland finished bottom on 22 points. Middlesbrough, second bottom on 26 
Hull, third bottom on 39. Yes. Uh, Swansea, 17th on 40. West Ham, 16th on 43. And Palace, 15th on 45. You lads are very, very generous. Yeah, All that... I'm going to say is I, I went for realism with Palace and these two just kept saying Palace wins. Then <laughs> no, 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 I didn't. I a couple of draws. Oh, I know, I know. I know if you go so, back, I said we'd beat Burnley. I'm lying. Um, so I'll, I'll post the picture up of that table onto our um, Twitter account and see how much abuse we get so for that we one. So if we finish 15th, that calls for a whole night, whole radio night out and celebrate, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Right, we'll end them there, and uh, next up, we'll we'll briefly touch on uh, the Crystal Palace classic match against Arsenal. Get in touch with the show. All of our contact details can be found at holradio.net forward slash contact. With 19 minutes gone, Armstrong in behind Linnigan. He's had little luck in front of goal recently and no luck here for himself, but plenty for Palace because the rebound went straight to Sulaco. And it's Arsenal nil, Crystal Palace won. He's got them back in the game, 17 minutes left. And Martin, only moments after, a truly superb save. He was powerless as Wright climbed to head into the top corner from close range. Getting above Shaw and scoring. What a finish we're going to have now. But for the record, in just a few days, over three years, 100 goals for Arsenal, for Ian Wright. Right, so it's the 1st of October, 1994. Crystal Palace, uh, second bottom. (laughs) Uh, No wins from seven games, and uh, we'd only scored four goals going into it. But um, this isn't the Arsenal that we know now. They were in 14th place in the league, not doing very well. Um, this happened to be, as I mentioned earlier in the show, when talking to Kenny Ken, my first ever Palace match. Um, so for me, going to this match, I wasn't actually technically a Crystal Palace fan at this point. My dad just um, picked me and my sister up on the day and said, I'm taking you to football today. We went over to Highbury, bought tickets on the gate for the home end, sat in the North Bank, and um, with a lot of other Crystal Palace fans as well. And yeah, plastic indeed. And... Um, and proceeded to watch um, <laughs> Crystal Palace from nowhere, really, pick up an unexpected win. Um, George Graham's Arsenal lined up with David Seaman, uh, who I must point out was my idol at that time, being a goalkeeper. <laughs> Lee Dixon, Nigel Winterburn, Stefan Schwartz, Andy Linnigan, who of course would go on to play for Palace, Tony Adams. Anyone remember Ian Selly? Yeah, yeah, latterly of Woking as well. Uh, he, he, he was England under 21, all that kind of stuff. And then just disappeared. But at the time, he was uh, tipped for great things. Mm. Some bloke called Ian Wright, um, Alan Smith, um, probably um, a sober Paul Merson at this point. I don't know. <laughs> 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 yeah. Maybe not. And Paul Davis, and of course, um, it was Alan Smith's Crystal Palace. We've got Nigel Martin, Darren Patson, Dean Gordon, Gareth Southgate. What does Gareth Southgate do these days? No idea. <laughs> <laughs> not pick Wilfred Zaha Richard Shaw Chris Coleman Bobby Bowery some good name alliteration there Ricky Newman Chris Armstrong John Solarco and the man with the skinniest legs alive George Endar there you go um, so um, Arsenal you know you, you look at that back line of Linegan and Adams and um, 
the fact that Dixon and Winterburn were showing us no respect and pushing on quite early on there was loads of warning signs for Arsenal with balls over the top and Armstrong and Solarco just failing to get in behind but um, 20 minutes in it's uh, it's a bit you know break them up it was a bit like it is today isn't it counter-attacking Chris Chris Armstrong breaking away yeah that, that, I'll tell you what that, I, I do remember the game really well because it, it was the first time I'd really seen well, we, we changed things up, didn't we? Because Slarko, known as as a left winger predominantly, mm. but obviously the the aforementioned skinny legged uh, Dar went left side, yeah. and we had um, who'd right, Bowie on right, and uh, Bowie played probably the game of his life. He was absolutely superb that day. But as you pointed out, Armstrong um, and, and Slarko, but particularly Armstrong, absolutely ran Adams and Linegan ragged. They could mm. they just couldn't get near him. You know, we, it's easy to forget just how good a player Armstrong was. You know, fantastic yeah. touch, great pace, great power. And they didn't really know what to do on the counter. There's a lot of long ball, wasn't there? A lot of ch- sort of chip it over, get them running back towards their own goal. And, and that's where, you know, all our best moves came from. And, um, yeah, and I, there, there was certainly like an arrogance about Arsenal on the day, as I alluded to earlier, just playing such a high line and just... It was cool, and I think it, a lot of it in the second half when we barely got a sniff. It was because Linegan and Adams just dropped off, <laughs> or Dixon and Winterburn held a little bit more and just didn't give us a space in behind, and we fell apart. But there was in the first half, it was just ridiculous at how easy we could undo. And we've not. I think a long ball is probably unfair. You're right. You touched. You said a word there. Chipped. It was. You know, it's nicely weighted passes just in between the lines and. Yeah. You know Chris Armstrong's pace and strength. Um, a lot of a lot of Palace fans today say that if we could have any Palace player from the past, who would you put in the current squad? And a lot of people do say Chris Armstrong yeah. because he possessed so many great abilities. Um, and it's mad, really, that he didn't go on to have a bigger career than the one he actually had. Yeah, and when we talk about those balls forward as well, you're right. I did I did kind of call them long balls, but how many of those passes were Southgate? Because people mm. obviously don't know him as a centre back for England and all that kind of stuff. But everyone knows he played midfield for us, that, and, and he was imperious that day. You know, brilliant vision uh, from him. He, he was he was superb, like a number of them. Yeah, and the most Arsenal could muster up in the first half was Tony Adams headed over a corner in front of um, Nigel Martin, who was trying to punch. And then four minutes before the break, this time Armstrong's in down the right-hand side. And it's just easy football, really. Just rolls the ball across the penalty area and um, Solarko's at the back stick to tap in. Um, Nick, uh, I probably should have done this in research, if I'm honest, and asked you, did you go to the game? I didn't go to this game. In fact, I had to look it up. And I was—I tell you what amazed me about that team. That team actually had the makings. If you look at the names in our, our team, we actually had the makings of a really strong squad there. Martin, well, Darren uh, Patterson. Well, no, no, the makings <laughs> of. I didn't say the total of. <laughs> Dean Gordon, great player. Chris Coleman, yeah. uh, you know, Chris Armstrong, John Solarco, good players, good team. But no, I didn't go to the game. Mm. And Patrick, of course, this was long after you left LCs. You'd done a, your early Brexit back in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, but uh, what, what was it like, what, 94, 94 time for TV-wise? Watching, did you get many Palace games on TV then? I was about to say that. The thing was, um, the, the coverage now is ridiculous, but back then it was very sporadic and there was one channel that would put on a match and this match was actually on, so I remember seeing it. Oh, but, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they would put, uh, you know, a game a week and, for, you know, Arsenal, Man United, Liverpool would be featured every single week, so they played and because it was a quote-unquote ups, it was on. So I watched it and I enjoyed it. I used to like this team a lot. One I liked about this team was that a lot of youth players in this team, Endar, Shaw, mm. Bowery, Newman, 
Salako, obviously. So that was at Southgate. That was nice to see. And also, I just enjoyed that that season was was the was the Cup semi-final loss, right, to May 1995, late one in that mm. year. So yeah. it was a heartbreaking year, obviously. Uh, yeah, so was. Uh, relegation <laughs> too, right, that year? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, and I really enjoyed watching Armstrong play. He was so direct, so quick. Uh, I, I, the goals he scored that semi-final, the the Wolves, like, not Wolves, mm. the Wolves game was just brilliant. Yeah. So I enjoyed watching this team play. And again, this was a great win for us, especially being it was against Arsenal. Again, that is before we never, ever, ever beat. So, mm. well, um, you know, the second the second half, as I've said, Arsenal pinned us back. They bought Kevin Campbell on for Davis. Really went for it. And um, we did, didn't really have an answer. Um, Armstrong did his best to try and hold the play up, but it was just wave after attack. And Nigel Martin really, really excelled in the second half. Um, you can see videos on YouTube of him just making save after save. And um, but it was a certain Ian Wright that scored um, the goal that got Arsenal back into the game, which was on this in the 72nd minute. And um, it was a bit annoying, Chris, weren't it, that he got his 100th goal for Arsenal in a, in a game against Palace? Yeah, it was. And, and, and you know, he, he didn't... I wouldn't say he was, like, over the top on his celebrations, would he? He grabbed the ball and ran back to the centre circle. But mm. I think that was more to do with trying to get the back sit- into the game. game situation, showing, yeah. Yeah, not showing us any respect. But what, what was interesting about that is he got, ahead, he got above uh, Shaw for the header. Mm. Uh, and Shaw, particularly first half, had, had, it was, there was a running battle with him. You know, I know Shaw clattered, clattered in him, clattered him really early on, um, and there was just this this really intense battle. It was great to see, you know, Shaw Shaw one of our own against uh, you know a former hero, and but but he was always you know right right he just scores goals and he was always going to score, wasn't he? So um, yeah. pleasingly, it, it didn't come to anything. It was just a consolation, but uh, but certainly you know seeing him, him get that milestone for Arsenal and particularly at the time, it you know left a real sour taste in the mouth. It certainly did, but um, yeah, we was uh, it was definitely a back to the wall for the last twenty minutes, but we did manage to hold on. Much of the, the roars at the stadium at the end, not just coming from the away end as well, because there were Palace fans littered all over the North Bank. Um, you know, me, my dad, and sister being three of them, and um, yeah, you know, my love affair with Crystal Palace was. I would say slightly ignited that day. It was definitely the first time I walked into Sellers Park was when I knew I was home, but um, it was certainly a great day. Right, um, we will be back after this short jingle. Homesdale Radio, sponsored by FanDuel.co.uk. The next generation of fantasy football. Right, that's almost it. Um, thanks to Kenny Ken for joining us and um, obviously to Gail Sam for producing this week. Um Billiam's at his girlfriend's gig. Her mm. band's actually on iTunes and everything. So um, expect big things from them, I guess. Uh, Hambo, the Arsenal mm. Review Show. When is is that happening? Uh, <laughs> at, at this stage, you know, the, the plan is uh, Sunday we'll be releasing a special podcast. Uh, I explained about that in last week's show. You, I can't be bothered to explain it again. Listen to that if you haven't already. I'll tell you what it is. But uh, it will be, it's obviously not reviewing anything. It's just a collection of Sketch the rubbish, really, but, um, but it's hopefully of, it, of some amusement. Uh, I don't know whether we'll uh, try and squeeze a, re- a review into your your preview show next week. I don't know, but at this stage, there is no plan to review that game, and uh, we'll pick it up the next Sunday if we don't. And, talk unless about we. It Unless we win, and then oh. of course it'll be like straight oh, on. Absolutely, it'll be a live show that that night. <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> absolutely right. The, 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 the plastic radio station. Let's ever. do it. 
but uh, but for, before you uh, say say your goodbyes to the others, I just want to quickly mention um, our uh, play at Sellers Park um, mm. game. We uh, if you go to just go to hlradio.net and you'll you'll see link to it. But uh, also check our Twitter feed and all that kind of stuff. For the details you get to play in an eleven a side game at Sellers Park. We've had a huge number of people registered already. I mean, massive. I I, I believe honestly in the planning of this. I was panicking. I was thinking, how the hell are we going to find enough people <laughs> to fill two teams for 90 minutes? We can fill about five teams, I think. But uh, get yourself registered if you're interested in doing it. If you do miss out with us, which is a possibility, we will have to look at, um, at you know minutes available and all that kind of stuff and give as many people the chance as we can. But if you do miss out, uh, there's, there's Palace Foundation are auctioning places for a very similar charity game, probably a bit more high profile than ours being played on the Saturday. We're on Wednesday the 24th, they're on Saturday the 27th. If you check out the CPFC Foundation Twitter, I think it's CPFC underscore foundation, um, and there's a link to that, and it's the hashtag is play at Palace, um, and they are auctioning places starting on the 11th of April. Get involved in that. Um, we'll be announcing, hopefully, in the very near future, some, some special guests uh, will be joining us on the day. But very, very exciting, and obviously... It's all to do with charity. It's all to do with thanking you for funding us for next year, but also using that opportunity to raise some money for some very, very worthy causes. Um, and you made that possible. So thank you. This is your reward. Get involved. Yeah, and the person who um, gives the most money gets to go out for dinner with me and Chris, I think. Isn't that, Absolutely, isn't that the way right. <laughs> that is true. But they do have to pay for that dinner. For, for they do. And, and it is um, tasty jerk. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, look, let's let's end this. It's been it's been a marathon, but um, thank you for joining us, everyone. Um, thanks to Hambo, Nick, and Patrick. Cheers, guys. No problem, mate. See you Cheers. soon. And until next time, up the palace. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.